Are you trying to squeeze the starting solid food stuff into your already busy schedule? Well, I have an all-in-one done-for-you solution that's going to take the guesswork out of feeding your baby. My online program is called Baby Led Weaning with Katie Ferraro. It contains all of my baby led weaning training videos, the original 100 First Foods content library, plus a 100-day meal plan with recipes like the exact sequence of which foods to feed in which order. So if you want to stop trying to piece all this feeding stuff together on your own, I would be honored if you would join me inside of the program. You can get signed up at babyledweaning.co slash program. Checking in about food allergies and introducing allergenic foods. And have you done peanut with your baby yet? Well, intact nuts and thick globs of nut butters like peanut butter are choking hazards for babies, but we want to get that peanut protein into your baby early and often in order to help lower the risk of peanut allergy down the road. My absolute favorite way to introduce peanuts for babies is using the Puffworks Baby Peanut Puffs. So When you hear puffs, like you're probably like, oh, those starchy little puff things. Like, no, no, no. Not the little ones that earlier eaters can't pick up. Those kind of crappy puffs from the store that have added sugar and refined grains and lots of salt. Uh uh. The Puffworks baby peanut puffs have no added sugar. They have just a smidge of sodium for preservatives, and they are the perfect size for baby led weaning. They're about the size of your adult pinky finger. So, you can, baby can pick them up, self-feed them, but they're so soft that they dissolve in your baby's mouth so you can introduce these peanut puffs even before your baby has teeth. Puffworks also makes a baby almond puff for the safe introduction of a separate allergenic food category. That's tree nuts. And now, finally, Puffworks put out a combo case. So it's half baby peanut and half baby almond. So if you want to grab one case, then you can knock out two new allergenic foods. We do these on different days, though. These are just the no-stress, low-mess way to get peanut and tree nut out of the way. So you can get 15% off everything at puffworks.com when you use the affiliate discount code BLWPOD. That's a new code. It's BLWPOD. Use that sucker at checkout at puffworks.com and get peanut and tree nut safely out of the way. We always have either frozen chicken nuggets or like chicken tenders or fish sticks in the freezer as like an easy protein option. That is one thing that I can then like cut up and put on top of pasta. I can put it into tacos. We can put it in burritos. It's just like a nice backup to have on hand. I almost always have a jar of marinara sauce or tomato sauce in the pantry, which I use on spaghetti, but also as like a poaching liquid for chicken or for fish or sometimes eggs. Hey there, I'm Katie Ferraro, registered dietitian, college nutrition professor, and mom of seven specializing in baby led weaning. Here on the Baby Led Weaning Made Easy podcast, I help you strip out all of the noise and nonsense about feeding, leaving you with the confidence and knowledge you need to give your baby a safe start to solid foods using baby led weaning. Now, when it comes time to make dinner for your family, are you the type of person that plans out every dinner for the week on Sunday and then you actually have all the ingredients on hand and then you actually make those meals? Or do you wing it and try to figure it out day by day? My guest today, she's coming in hot with a dinner time SOS plan if you are cooking for little babies and kids. I'm so excited to have Amy Palingen from Yummy Toddler Food on the podcast today to talk about strategies for making dinner time with kids a less stressful and maybe even enjoyable experience. Amy is a cookbook author, content creator, and a mom of three. She runs the wildly popular Instagram site and website, both called Yummy Toddler Food. Amy recently published her second cookbook. This one's called Dinner Time SOS, 100 Sanity Saving Meals Parents and Kids of All Ages Will Actually Want to Eat. 
And I loved getting to chat with her. I've never met her before. I don't follow a lot of other kid feeding accounts on Instagram for lots of reasons, but hers is so real. Her recipes are so good. And I really appreciate and applaud Amy's messages and her philosophy about feeding kids and families. She's going to be sharing a little bit about her own experience, starting solid foods with her oldest child and what she went through, as well as the one thing that she wishes that everyone who feeds toddlers would really stop doing when it comes to food. So with no further ado, here's Amy Palingen from Yummy Toddler Food. Hi, thank you for having me. I am excited to strategize about dinnertime solutions when you have small kids. Before we start, though, can you tell us a little bit about your professional background? How did you come to create your brand, Yummy Toddler Food? So I worked for over a decade in magazines. So I worked as a food editor, a lifestyle editor, um, a freelance writer. And so I worked in an industry that was steadily contracting. So I lost every magazine job I had. And um, there was a point after my daughter was born that I just like... There was a gap in the dialogue and resources about feeding little kids at that time. It was over 10 years ago. There were not like toddler specific anything really. And all of the kids recipes I was finding were for older kids. So she couldn't chew them. Like they were too crunchy, too hard. There were a lot of choking hazards. And so I, since I knew how to develop recipes, I honestly, I didn't know what I was doing from like a blogging perspective, but I had like a very basic Squarespace site and picked a name. Like I asked a couple friends and we like picked yummy toddler food because we thought it sounded happy and then just started putting recipes online. And so I did that like on the side for about four years as I worked in magazines, as I worked as a freelance writer. And then there was a point that I was, I knew the job I had was going to go away because I could tell the signs. And so I had to make a decision to like learn how to be a blogger in a way that could be my career and my income. So I listened to lots of podcasts. I learned about SEO. I had my website formatted properly. It's like amazing the difference when you actually do things the way that you're supposed to for Google. Yeah, imagine that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, this is interesting. It's the same content. It is just formatted correctly. And now I can like earn a living. So it's been my full-time job for four, over four years now. You can always tell like the OGs who refer to themselves as bloggers, which isn't technically a thing yeah. anymore, but you're not calling yourself an influencer. And I, I caught that because you have, but your, but your blog, your website is still like where people go to find your recipes. Although I know, you know, Instagram is very important and I, I love your content on Instagram. I think your recipes are so creative, but like so doable for busy families. And I'm really glad that you tackled dinner time in your newest book. Cause I know you'd written a cookbook previously. So how is this new book different? What inspired you to write it? Like, how was the experience different doing this cookbook versus your previous one? So the previous cookbook was a cookbook for kids. That was, it's very visual. Like the pages are wiped clean. It's called Food Play. And that was really a way to like involve kids in the kitchen. So that came out in 2020. And then I had this idea to do a dinnertime cookbook that really was meant to like meet parents and families where they are at like five o'clock, 5.30, where there is all sorts of things going on. Everybody is tired and lower on energy, but still needs to eat dinner. To be honest with you, I could not find a publisher who would publish it because it was like my brand name. Was Even with your following, off. I feel like they would be well, like so knocking was, down your door. It was long enough ago. So oh, okay. I like had the idea for this like five years ago when I was not as large as I am now, but like my brand name 
the publishers were like, well, where do we put this in the bookstore? Is it like a baby food book? Is it a regular book? They were like very confused. So it wasn't until I had a large enough platform that someone was able to be like, well, maybe we don't know where we're going to put it in the bookstore, but we trust her that this is the thing that her audience needs. Um, So that took a little bit of time, but I really like, I just, I wanted there to be a resource that someone could open a book and be like, yes, I have these five things in my pantry. I can combine them and serve my family a meal and also have all of the tips in one place for like what to do when your kid doesn't want to eat, what, how to reduce food waste, like all of the context that comes up around um, feeding a family. So you had a different publisher for the second book. Yes, it was a different publisher. I know there's a part in your book where you say, and this is a quote, women in particular tend to put kids and partners first. And while I know it can be hard to center our needs, it can go a long way towards helping us feel more included and seen in the middle of often chaotic mealtimes. So I keep my desires front of mind and then factor in the preferences of kids. And I was like underlining, nodding my head so hard. Yes. When I read this, like, because we do do that as parents, you think of these two distinct entities, there's adult food and then there's kid food and then maybe there's baby food too. But like, you don't put up with that stuff. You're like, we can make everyone to some degree happy. And that's what I love about your approach. Do you have some concrete examples of how you put your needs at the forefront since you're the one actually making the food here? Like, how do you actually make that happen in real life for your own family? So when I'm looking at what we're going to eat for dinner over the course of the week, I like literally choose meals that I want. So I am like this week, I really want to have breaded chicken. And that may or may not be something that is like my kid's favorite, but then I will build the meal around that. And then I will make sure that I'm including like one or two foods that I know my kids like. So the other night we had burrito bowls, which my girls love black beans. They love tortillas and cheese. I made the chicken to go with mine. And then like everybody picked and chose what they wanted. So I am making sure that there are meals that I want because it just gives me extra motivation to cook. And then also to be able to like model for the kids that it's important that everyone get a chance to eat food that they love. And that that's not necessarily going to always be the kids every night, but that like mom's needs are important too. And like everybody can have a chance to have their favorite thing. And I love that because you're not, I mean, I think so often like that approach can get misinterpreted. Well, that's short order cooking because you made one food for that. It's like, no, I didn't. I put a few things in there that we're all trying to eat. But like there are some variations based on ability, preference, maybe food allergies. Like I think that's a much more positive way to look at it is like, hey, everyone's getting something they like here. And in my mind, that's like a perfect example of a deconstructed meal where there is like an overarching, like cohesive idea of a burrito bowl. And then there are multiple components where everyone can pick and choose. I was not cooking the kids like mac and cheese to go with next to the chicken. I was putting things that would go with it. So I had some of everything in my bowl and then they just chose like what they wanted. I love the part of your book where you introduce it. You're going to think of these years as like the taco years. It's like, oh, thank goodness. Like we have tacos for everything. But when you're teaching about baby led weaning, it's like, I'm not going to give the seven month old a fish taco. However, when I take the crispy, crunchy part off of the top, that, that fish protein there that's nice and soft once I checked it for bones, those tomatoes that I can cut into quarters for older babies, strips of the tortilla that I do need to soften because it can be a choking hazard when it's dry. They're not eating the fish taco, but we're eating the same components of the meal and I'm helping the baby get to the point where when they do have the ability to eat, they've already been conditioned to like, oh, we all eat the same foods in this family. 
And so that whole deconstructed meal idea, it works great for babies and for toddlers. And then at the end of the day, you're eating the food that you want to as well. So I just, I love this approach. I also, as a dietitian who does not give two cents about how much your baby eats, because that's not what's important when babies are learning how to eat, I have to say that your take on portion sizes is so refreshing. And you said in your current book, there's nothing wrong if your family of four needs more food, and it's not a problem if your family needs less food. And then I love that you kind of went into notating that a lot of recipes include portion sizes that are dictated by diet culture, which I'm not a cookbook author. I never thought about it like that. Can you talk a little bit about portion sizes in the context of diet culture? Yeah, so there's, and this this comes up a lot with like snack foods or pre-portioned things where people, or even like yogurt or something, anything that has a nutrition label, many people- So look food. At nutrition label. <laughs> yeah, food. Um, we'll look at a nutrition label and they'll see the serving size and they will think that's the amount that I need to eat or that my child needs to eat when that may or may not be true. Like the best guide for portion size is, everyone's unique hunger, the amount of food you have for a particular meal, who else needs to eat it. Like there are all of these other factors that go into it. So with recipes in particular, like there are certain things you have to do as a recipe writer and you have to let people know how much food they're going to get, generally speaking, so that they know how many people generally it will serve. And so I was trying to give enough information that a family would know like this might make enough for us as like the main dish, but we probably need something on the side. But I didn't want anyone to like literally divide the pasta into six and then be like, this is how much we eat. Because that is, that's an example of diet culture. Because that is an external way of checking how much food you need rather than being able to tap into your internal cues. Hey, we're going to take a quick break, but I'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. If you've been thinking about giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's a convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online experience. All you do is just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can also switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. I used to think therapy was just for people who have experienced major trauma, but therapy can help you be at your best no matter what you're going through. So whether it's to learn new positive coping skills, set more realistic boundaries, or just show up as a better version of yourself, BetterHelp is here to help. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can help you get there and BetterHelp can help you. Visit betterhelp.com slash weaning today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash weaning and get 10% off your first month. I teach a 100 first foods approach. So we teach the babies to eat 100 foods before they turn one. And one component of our program with the recipes, we redid it by removing anything about portion size. Because to be honest, anytime you see like a portion size and parents will be like, I saw this portion guide for babies on an Instagram account. It's like, well, guess what? They made it up because there's no peer review published portion sizes for infant age six to 12 months. And also everyone knows portion sizes are bogus to begin with. But we started focusing on yield for the same thing. Like families want to make like, sorry, they're not going to make a pork roast 
every single day, but we want the child to continually have the exposure. You make one pork roast. Here's about how much you can expect to get. Here's about how long it might last your family and how many times the baby might be able to eat it. But when they say like, what's the exact portion size? I not to be a contrarian, but I refuse to answer that question because it doesn't matter. Baby's different. And when you publish a portion guide that you made up, all you're doing is setting that family up for failure because unless that baby eats the exact same amount that some random dietitian made up, or not dietitian, a blogger or some, honestly, a lot of people teaching about nutrition that frankly have no business doing it, especially in the baby space, that all the families feel is like, oh my gosh, my baby didn't eat that exact amount. So I must be terrible at feeding a baby. And like, no, you're amazing that you made a pork butt for your baby, but like how much it makes varies. And like, and also I think your audience probably has a lot of the same characteristics as ours. Sometimes, you know, having kids is the first time they ever really even cooked. Like, oh shoot, real food doesn't magically appear on the table. And so there is a learning curve here, but I think just removing the portion size, it helps you focus on the parts of the meal that really do matter. And the exact amount that the child eats does not matter. Yeah. And I think it just, it allows you to actually pay more attention to trusting the child and their appetite. Like someone sent me a DM just this morning. That was a picture of the um, sweet potato mac and cheese from my cookbook. And she was like, it was delicious. My baby didn't eat any of it. And, and like, she put like some like laughing emojis. And I was like, and she said something about like baby attitude. And I was like, your baby wasn't hungry. It, it wasn't. Or doesn't know food. how to eat that food yet. Like, right, right, right. Like I was like, I'm fairly certain it was nothing to do with the recipe. Like it was, I wish that the assumption was that like, we're going to trust the baby's hunger. We're going to trust the toddler's hunger as a starting point, because I just find that that makes everything easier. I love that the book captured you cooking and eating with your kids in the picture. I know your kids are way past the baby phase. But just curious, can you take us back to when you started Solid Foods with your oldest child? Like, what was the thing that you were most scared about when you entered that new phase as a new mom? And then how did that change with babies number two and then number three, if it did at all? So it was very different. So when I had my first daughter, I was, I have changed a lot in the way that I think about food. And I was, I really bought into the fear mongering messages out there that if, a baby has sweets or quote unquote processed food before a certain age that that's going to like ruin them or turn them into picky eaters. So I fed her. I mean, I made everything from scratch. I was very scared. We did do baby led weaning and she was a voracious eater. And so it was like delightful to feed her because she loved everything. But at the same time, like when she was one and she had a lot of opinions about what she wanted to eat and didn't eat, I just was like, I felt all the time that I was sort of on the edge of doing something wrong that was going to have like a cascading snowball effect, um, which I then like just from learning more about intuitive eating, learning more about responsive feeding, learning from other experts, I just learned that is not an accurate depiction of how feeding kids work. That was me internalizing cultural messages around me. And so with the second two kids, I was much more able to trust them when I fed them something and they wanted a lot of it or not a lot of it. And then I was like, I just got to be so much more laid back with allowing them to eat a broad range of food. And then knowing that over the course of a week or over the course of the month, they would have a variety and I didn't have to try to control it in the same way. I love that. And I think sometimes, you know, we always talk, especially in our line of business, you know, we're making content, but we're also selling products. And you're always trying to, you know, speak to the conversation that that the customer, the parent is having in their mind. And 
that you can go back there and remember exactly what that felt like. I think that is so important and why your content resonates so much with parents, because sometimes it's easy. I mean, I have seven kids. I have now fed thousands of other babies, but I can still remember like that feeling of shame when I couldn't get my oldest to eat off of the spoon. And my mom invited me to go to a lunch date, but I wouldn't go because I didn't want to see her struggling, me struggling to get my baby to eat. And like, that feels like yesterday. And she just turned nine. Like sometimes those, again, those cultural messages, like you're a mom, you should know how to feed your baby. You're a dietitian mom. You can't feed your baby. Like what's your problem? And like, Every single day when parents send me messages and like, that's how they're feeling, I immediately go back there. I'm like, God, I would like, will that ever, will I be like 80 and still like traumatized by the time I tried to force feed my daughter by spoon? But I do appreciate you, you know, sharing your background. And I know you want to remind parents that like, listen, at the end of the day, we always say, you know, when you start solid foods, like you have to feed this person for the next 17 and a half years of, of their life. And like, we can commiserate and like, but at the end of the day, like having some tools and having things that work for your family is going to serve you not just in the immediate future, but down the road as well, since we're helping our children formulate, you know, the basis of their future relationship with food. With baby led weaning, it's kind of an anomaly in the baby space because it is one of the few things that appeals to second time or seasoned parents. I know you did it with your oldest, but a lot of times what we end up with our parents who are like, listen, I struggled with spoon feeding my oldest. Now that child is a toddler. They are not a lover of all foods, whatever you want to call that. So then the family will be interested in trying something new with the next baby. And that's kind of when they tend to stumble upon baby led weaning. So could you give us some tips for incorporating a toddler, like the older child in the experience? If you have a baby in the house starting solid foods and everybody needs to learn how to eat, if it's true that kids are more you know, apt to eat foods that they had a hand in preparing, how do you realistically do that when you're trying to like take care of and prep food for a baby as well as an older kid? It can depend a lot on your context and you don't have to go like, all in like you you do not have to be making meals like start to finish with a toddler at any point regardless of who else is in your family but i think that there are really easy ways to help a toddler or preschooler like 2 to 4 engage with food when they are either watching you prepare a meal or sitting with you at the table so some things that my son loves to do are like wash um, salad greens and like help me push on the salad spinner. Or if we get like a big head of broccoli, breaking the florets off, just like touching the food. It does not have to be like a cooking class. Like we don't have to be chopping. And so things like that, like the other night he helped me pit cherries, which he needed a little help, like pushing the cherry pitter. But that was a way that he didn't want to eat what I had made for dinner when I told him what was for dinner. And then as I was getting everything to the table, I had to get the cherries ready. And I was like, do you want to help me do this? And he was like, yes. And that helped him calm down enough to then come to the table with less anxiety. Some other options would be to like give a toddler like a novel utensil, like a pair of tongs or a big salad fork, which is sort of funny and let them eat with that. I did have the experience that my older kids were very interested in trying the baby food when we were feeding babies. If your older child asks to try something or they ask to try it the way that you've given it to the baby, I would totally give that to them. Like if you've cut sweet potato in a certain way or you made meatballs like a different shape, like I would just know that it's totally fine to let the older kid like eat that type of food too. What are some good shortcut foods that you always have on hand that save you time at dinner? We always have either frozen chicken nuggets or like chicken tenders or fish sticks in the freezer as like an easy protein option. I sometimes do make it from scratch, as I mentioned, like a little bit ago, but that is one thing that I can then like cut up and put on top of pasta. I can put it into tacos. We can put it in burritos. 
it's just like a nice backup to have on hand. I almost always have a jar of marinara sauce or tomato sauce in the pantry, which I use on spaghetti, but also as like the poaching liquid for chicken or for fish or sometimes eggs. So that is a good one. We always have a ton of canned beans. Um, circling back to the comment about um, this phase being like the taco phase of my life. I did used to cook beans from scratch, but then I just like... But then you had three kids it. and a full-time I know, job. I was like, like, <laughs> so I was like, I don't want to cook beans every weekend. Also a can of beans. The other thing I would always argue, they're always cooked perfectly. Like you give a baby an undercooked bean, you're going to destroy their gut. But like a canned bean, mm, perfect. Like they're not going to mess it up in that process. Right. And then I don't have to worry about like thawing it if I put them in the freezer. So Mine is like the butternut squash that's already peeled and cut up. Like I know I could do it myself, but it's just like, I do not have time. And I like, it hurts my hand at the end of the squash and like someone else did it for me. So I, I feel like that's like sometimes like my like luxury convenience item. I'm like, I know that the cost per ounce on this is insane, but to me, it's worth it to not have to cut that butternut squash. Well, also if it's like the difference of you actually getting it on, onto the table, I feel yeah. like that's worth like a little bit more. But then sometimes I think my kids like maybe will never know what a butternut squash actually looks like. It doesn't come out of a clamshell already cut up. So I'm like, this is what it used to look like, but I don't have the time to right. cut it. <laughs> Which kitchen appliance gets the most use in your house like when you're testing recipes? So that's like two different questions. So the kitchen appliance that gets the most use in my kitchen, just generally speaking, is my blender. So okay. I um, got a Vitamix when I was pregnant with my second daughter and I still use the same one. It is like not new looking. <laughs> so there are always comments like when I post something using the blender, the people are like, do you, is your blender old? Like, you know, they make newer ones. Like, of course they do. And it works fine. I know. I'm like, it works amazingly well. So we use that. I mean, I use that to like grind up oats to make oat flour, to like grind up sunflower seeds, to make sunflower seed butter on the occasion that I do that. Um, but also just for like shakes and smoothies and puring sauces. Like I, we use that often multiple times a day. I do use my food processor for grinding up vegetables. Yeah, because it takes too long to cut them. Yeah. Or if you need like a finer texture for mm -hmm. something. And then I do use my air fryer quite a bit because my oven is beautiful, but it takes forever to preheat. So if I want to cook something and not wait a half an hour to start cooking it, then I use the air fryer. See, I wanted to love the air fryer and I'm cooking for 10 people like every night. So like just from a volume standpoint, I just ended up giving it to my parents. The XL, I was like, why am I doing this five times? It was taking forever. Or the kids would like, the first kids would start eating the first batch and I'd turn around and be like, that was for dinner. And then they were like eating it as I go. So I kind of gave up on the air fryer because it was like, just from like a food production. This is not a quantity food production situation. My mom and dad love it for two people, but. Yeah, it makes just enough for my family. What do you like in the air fryer? Um, so I like it for reheating anything that has like a crispy breading because it actually makes it crispy. We do um, roasted frozen broccoli in the air fryer. So it's like just roasted broccoli, but I just like dump a bag of frozen broccoli in and it evaporates all the ice and then you toss it with olive oil. That is really yummy. Roasted potatoes, roasted sweet potatoes. Um, the other day I made like a really fast non pizza. So like non bread with just a little bit of pizza sauce and mozzarella. So it was like three minutes. It was really fast and um, like the perfect texture for a little kid to eat because it was very soft. Hey, we're going to take a quick break, but I'll be right back. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And 
What do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I love that you acknowledge the texture, too, because a lot of, like, recipes I think that bloggers and stuff come up with, you're like, oh, super cute, but, like, I'm not going to spend 20 minutes decorating the celery stick or whatever. Plus, like, they're not going to eat the crunchy celery because, like, they can't even do that physiologically yet. So I love that you're always taking into account the texture, but also acknowledging that like children don't just have to have like soft white multiple carbohydrates. Like we can incorporate other foods without like smashing nutrition messaging down your throat. Like you're just leading by example, showing a wide variety of recipes. And I love that because you'll do dinner, you'll do breakfast. We, we have dessert in my house. So here's my dessert recipe. And then everybody, you know, has their own comments about feeding kids dessert, which I admire you for even sometimes responding to them. I have a question about tofu because you mentioned like the protein that you have in the freezer. And I feel like this is where I suffer sometimes. My husband is originally from Texas and he's like, I wish we ate more meat. And I was like, I wish meat didn't take so long to like actually think about and prepare. So sometimes if I'm not like prepared with protein, like the only defrosted protein I have in my kitchen right now is tofu. Like we can sometimes do stir fries with it. I sometimes like we'll put it in manicotti because like ricotta cheese is really expensive. But like, what else can you do with tofu? No, I don't, I'm never hiding it. Like it's a source of protein and it's cheap. It's a good source of iron. Like, what are some other things I could do with it? So I would recommend, I don't know which type you buy, but I prefer like the extra firm kind. So my two favorite ways are baked tofu. Um, it's a very quick marinade. It has like four ingredients. It's like an Asian flavor. And then you bake it. And so it winds up tasting like the marinated tofu you would get at the Whole Foods salad bar, but it's not like $15 a pound. So that would be one. And then you can use it, like you can put it on salad. You can have it with a stir fry. It's sort of like all purpose because the flavor is not super strong. So it's very versatile. I also love sauteing tofu in sesame oil as like a very basic one. Yeah. Breaded tofu, either as like a nugget shape, um, like diced or in slices is very yummy. So you can pan fry that or you can bake that in the oven. So it's sort of like a chicken cutlet, but with tofu in the middle. You mentioned earlier that like you actually do, you say, I'm going to pick out the foods for the week. And you're, I think kind of joking, but not also like you're going to make it foods that you like. Do you have like a day of the week that you sit down and write it out? I mean, it's maybe part of your content creation schedule, but can you do the whole week? Like I'm always like, are people really doing like five days worth of meal planning on Sunday? Like what works for your family? I get to like Tuesday and I'm like, let's go out for dinner. <laughs> yeah. So for me, I really don't want to go to the grocery store more than once a week. We live in a college town and like, it's too crowded. I just like, I don't, I don't want to do it. So on Sunday or Monday, depending, because it is tied into my work. So I need to know the groceries I need for shooting photos and testing recipes and any videos. And then I need to know what I need for the rest of the meals for my family so I try to like plan when I'm making stuff for work so that we can have time to eat it. It may or may not work out. Like right now I have a turkey in my refrigerator, <laughs> like a roasted turkey. It's hard to find a turkey like, when it's not Thanksgiving time. So good for you on that. Yes, I uh, currently have four turkeys. It's a very long story. <laughs> the, oh I'm gosh. working with a brand and they wanted the content early and they sent me four. And I was like, that's more, that's three more than a lot of turkey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, I made it yesterday. And so now it's sitting in my fridge because I'm sort of like, who wants to eat turkey in August? So I probably will freeze that and like pull it out 
when it's awesome. older. But I, yeah, I do plan. And then like, I try to allow myself when we get to Tuesday or Wednesday, the flexibility to change my mind if I need to. So I can like look and see if we have a lot of leftovers, we may have like a random assortment of foods to clear out the leftovers instead of cooking something. So to help myself do that, I buy a lot of vegetables that are frozen or I use like pants, like the meals later in the week, I try to have them include less fresh things so that so you don't have to go back to the store. Right. And also so that it doesn't matter if we push that meal to the weekend or the following week, because the food's not going to go bad. Yeah. One thing I've noticed about bigger kids, my, um, I have a nine-year-old and I have a set of quadruplets that are seven and a set of twins that are five. The seven-year-olds right now, I mean, they're playing a lot of sports and it's like, what's for dinner? What's for dinner? And like my oldest one never did that. So it's like, well, the answer is always, I don't know. But like, if I tell you something and then I change the plan, it like, it kind of stresses them out. They're like, I thought we were having chili mac. I was like, well, we're going to what day? It's like, oh, maybe I should actually plan it out. But I like that you say you have the flexibility to change, which is important too, because I don't want them to be so regimented. Like sometimes plans change, like kids need to learn that, but it maybe wouldn't be the worst thing if I had an answer besides, I don't know. So you've inspired me to maybe do some more planning, not to go negative, but do you have any like least favorite, like kind of toddler food tropes that you want to hear less of in the online or the parenting space? I just wish that we would stop labeling every toddler as picky. Like, I wish we could just leave them be <laughs> because the thing that happens when you just lean into using that word, when you like, can't, when you're serving food and the child doesn't want it, you're missing all of the potential reasons why. And I just don't feel like it gives you the opportunity to like improve the dynamic at all. If the dynamic of meals is stressing you out, it just becomes complaining. I feel you so hard on that too. And I have to be so careful as a dietitian because there certainly is you know, pediatric feeding disorder and we do have severe extreme picky eating. And there are situations where like, this is a clinical situation where you do need a trained therapist, but like 99.99% of what I'm working with, which is like neurotypical healthy children, your seven month old is not picky. They just need lots of exposures. You don't, you're not off the hook for broccoli. Sorry. But I feel like you have a, such a better way of saying that. And I'm always like, I can't say that, but I never even use that word like to describe my own kids or anyone else's kids, but everyone else uses it. Yeah. And I get that, like, I fully understand that it's frustrating. I just, like, I know how differently I feel feeding. Like my third child is the one who eats, has been like the most unpredictable with what he eats. And I would never call him picky, but he doesn't eat a lot of foods. Like, but the thing that helps me is I just trust him and his appetite. And when I start there and he doesn't eat dinner, I assume it's because he's not very hungry. And that assumption versus labeling him as picky and seeing him as a problem to solve changes the way I act. And I just feel like it must feel better to him to like not feel like I'm trying to fix him all the time or not feel like I'm trying to always convince him to eat in a different way. I just let him eat the way that he eats, like within the sort of structure of our family. I love that. And it's the absence of the word, which is sometimes hard because if you get online and you start talking about why I don't use the word picky, it's like, I think people see the way you're interacting with your kids. And when you put it that way, it's so eloquent the way you just put it. It Some of that is, it is your third child. If it was your first child and they weren't eating you, some, you literally like, this child might actually die if they don't eat that meal. Like you don't know that because you never saw that. Sometimes kids go to bed hungry and when they wake up, they eat a really huge breakfast, just like we do sometimes. And, and trusting that process. But 
I think a lot of times parents have to hear that message and then they live it themselves. And then the third kid, they're not as worried. Now, sometimes we do have obviously severe situations where the child's palate is so limited that it's affecting them nutritionally. But then that's when we call in the experts. If there truly is a problem, I think we're just so quick to label and diagnose our children with that word that I would love to see it removed from the vernacular as well. So at least there's two of us not using it. Um, what's your favorite recipe from the Dinnertime SOS cookbook and why? I don't know that I can pick one. There are a couple breakfast for dinner recipes in the book and the pancakes I love just because you can stick it in the oven. Um, so I made those last night. I made two sheet pans so that we could have it for dinner. And then they also had it for breakfast. So that Genius. is the current Your sheet favorite. pan pancakes changed my life. Like I stopped making pancakes. Well, I have an electric pancake maker because I, I always like just burn the regular ones. But then we just started making pancakes are circular. But in baby led weaning, we cut things about the size of an adult pinky finger so the baby can pick it up. Started cooking everything in a mini loaf pan. And I was like, like Amy's sheet pan pancakes. It's that's what the mini loaf pan is to us. Like, why have I been making these in circle things on a grill with like lots of dishes? So I love that. Ours is I love your pepperoni bread recipe. I had never had anything like that until we went um, oh, really? on a road trip this summer and we went to Chicago, we were going to a Cubs game and my neighbor, my cousin lives close by uh, Wrigley Field. And she made this like amazing pepperoni bread for an appetizer. And I was like to my kids, like, these are the same ingredients you literally have like once a week in pepperoni pizza. But they were like, pepperoni bread, this is amazing. So I made yours. And I loved that. Like, I was like, sorry, Amy, but I don't have time to actually on the next page, you have the recipe to make the pizza dough. And I was like, if it says yeast, like, I know I'm going to mess it up. But I just got like the pre-made one from Trader Joe's, a couple of them. That's why the dill recipe is not in the main recipe because I, I wanted, I made sure that all of the homemade stuff that takes longer was the sub recipe and not included in the main recipe because I did want people to do what you do. Yeah. I, and I just learned recently that you can like go to your local pizza shop and be like, can I just buy the dough? Like, I mean, ask for dough if you don't have a Trader Joe's or whatever, if your store doesn't have it. But I thought it was awesome. And we made the pepperoni bread. I absolutely loved it. So thank you for that recipe. I know I like to kind of end interviews. My goal personally with baby led weaning work is I want to make force feeding babies by spoons a thing of the past because babies can eat so many more foods than we give them credit for. What do you hope for as the outcome of your work in the toddler and child food space? I hope that we can get to a place where we're raising kids who are capable and confident to eat when they are in situations without us and that who can eat a range of food without ever feeling badly about themselves if for eating, like being able to eat desserts and broccoli and pasta and kale and quinoa and all of the different things without giving moral value. And I would love that foundation to start in the younger years so that when kids get to be a little bit older and they're in adolescence and in high school and are starting to feed themselves as young adults, that they are able to have a more holistic relationship with food that does not get them stuck in diet culture because almost every adult I know has had to work hard or doesn't recognize it yet uh, to get themselves out of that. And I would love kids to not have to be in it to begin with. Hey, we're going to take a quick break, but I'll be right back. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Go to your happy price, Priceline. I love that we spent like what intuitive eating is literally as an adult retraining yourself to be the way you were born as a baby, which when you instinctively knew when you were hungry and stopped eating when you were full. And like it does begin early in life. And, and that's a lot of pressure for us as parents. But at the end of the day, we we do have the opportunity to help our kids not deal with a lot of the same food SHIT that the rest of us had to. Like. One of the most surprising things about my social media is that my TikTok following, like a quarter of my followers on TikTok are um, like 20 year olds. And it is a lot of kids who are learning how to cook for themselves for the first time. And they, and like the feedback on being able to incorporate all sorts of different foods without the baggage has been so amazing. And I just love like that there's like college kids like I I never ever thought TikTok is a different world though and it's great that you know how to navigate both of those I mean your kids are getting older you're living this experience older kids benefit from exposure to foods away from their parents that's such a important message we're so in charge of of everything at this age but they're going to go out on their own I mean you don't even want to go to the grocery store in your college town because I feel like a lot of (laughs) times those kids like they've never made food choices on their own and there's always a time to learn and, and you're not too late so Awesome that it's there for the TikTokers too. Amy, where's the best place for our audience to go to learn about your work and to support your business? So yummytoddlerfood.com is my website. There, All of the resources are there. And then you can find me on social media at Yummy Toddler Food. And then the book is Dinnertime SOS and it is available everywhere books are sold. Thank you for this book. And thank you for taking the time to come on and talk to our audience as well. Thanks for having me. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Amy Palingen from Yummy Toddler Food. It's always funny when you meet someone in real life that you follow on social media. Not that it was real life, like I met her on Zoom, but I'm like looking at her background. It's like, oh my gosh, I recognize that part of your house from your Instagram reels. <laughs> Don't be such a weirdo. But she's really down to earth and I really appreciated her insights, not only just about like recipes, but the realities of making food for kids and that it is hard, but we have to do it. I think she's very pragmatic. I very much appreciate her recipes. Her cookbook, Dinnertime SOS, is absolutely amazing. I'll put a link to all of her resources, including that marinated tofu recipe that she mentioned in the episode. That'll be on the show notes that you can find at blwpodcast.com forward slash 364. And a special thank you to our partners at Airwave Media. If you guys like podcasts that feature food and science and using your brain, check out some of the podcasts from Airwave Media. We're online at blwpodcast.com. Thanks so much for listening and I'll see you next time.